And in this uh, message, Jesus defines for us what it means to be a disciple. So if you go to the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, this is the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives this vision for what it means to follow him. He lays out for us, this is what it means to be my disciple, this is what I'm calling you to, and how you are to live and how you are to walk. And this morning, we are going to focus on this passage where Jesus is going to teach us about our priorities. Our priorities concerning our money and our time and our energy and our other resources. Now, let me be honest with you for a moment. Anytime money comes up in the context of a message, I get a little nervous. I I struggle to talk about money. Give me a topic on like election and free will and predestination and why evil and suffering happen. And I'm like, yes, come on, I'll get in the pulpit for that any day. Ask me to talk about hell and heaven. I mean, I don't really have a problem with that. Ask me to talk about money, and I get a knot in my stomach. And here's why. Because I've spent most of my life in the church, and I know how this conversation can go. A lot of guilt, a lot of manipulation, a lot of unbiblical promises that if you give X amount of money, God is going to bless you a hundredfold. A lot of pastors who try to manipulate churches in order to pad their own pockets, and it's more about comfort and wealth rather than the mission of God and serving those who are in need. I know a lot of folks who don't follow Christ and are outside the church criticize the church because we can appear to be greedy and all we're about is money, and sometimes that criticism is not entirely inaccurate. And so there's a lot of baggage shot through with the topic of money. And so as I step into the pulpit to talk about it as a pastor, I can feel a little bit of trepidation. However, Jesus has much to say to his disciples about money. He didn't shy away just because the religious leaders manipulated people much the same way that people manipulate us today. And also, what Jesus pinpoints, and we're going to see in this passage this morning, is it isn't just about money. The question isn't just, how am I spending money? It's, what am I giving my life to? What has my heart? And so as Jesus pushes on his disciples to consider their priorities, he's calling them to consider, hey, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What drives you? What motivates you? What has the deepest place of your heart that you've given your life to? And this is what Jesus tells us this morning. And here's our main idea. Disciples of Jesus invest in the kingdom because they treasure the kingdom. And so for those of you this morning who wouldn't claim to follow Christ, or maybe you're you're unsure what you believe in, and so you're, you're a little bit of a skeptic, You're probably thinking right now, hey, I mustered up the energy to come to church, and yes, look, the pastor's talking about money. I knew it. Bad timing on my part, I know. But can we make a deal here? Can can we make a deal to just hang with me for the next 30 minutes or so and and listen to what Jesus has to say? Listen listen to what Jesus has to say. Not, Not the televangelist on TV with the polyester suit and the caked on makeup. Not not the manipulative pastor who's trying to pad his pockets. Listen to what Jesus Christ has to say about what has your hearts, not what those other jokers tell you. And so so let's, let's all enter into this time and see what the Lord has to say to us. Disciples of Jesus invest in the kingdom because they treasure the kingdom. So let's start with this question, where do you invest? 
as we heard Bridget read, Jesus creates a quality contrast between two types of treasures or investments, earthly and heavenly. See, we're all investing somewhere. We're all investing our money and our time and our energy and our resources somewhere. The question is, what is it? What is the quality of that investment? But before we we talk about quality, let's ask this question first. Why? Why is it that we are driven to invest? Why is it that we're driven to store up treasures? Well, here's four rough categories that they're not perfect and they're not airtight and you can fit a number of things in and you can probably add or subtract a few things. But, but here are four categories that I think primarily describe why we are driven to store up treasures. The first is security. Like, look, we want a level of financial stability in life. We don't want to be living paycheck to paycheck. We don't want to have this sense of insecurity where the smallest thing happens and our life is chaos. So we want a level of security, money for a rainy day. The second is a level of comfort and pleasure. We want to live life with a certain level of pleasure. We don't want to have suffering and and harm and hurts constantly coming in. We don't want the anxieties of life to to feel like they're constantly threatening us. We want to enjoy life. There is much in life to enjoy. And so we go after things in order to have comfort and pleasure. The third is identity and status. And there's a certain identity and status that I can gain if I have certain things. If I possess a house, possess a car, have a good job, money in the bank account, then that gives me status, that gives me a sense of identity of who I am. And fourth, meaning and purpose. Look, we're driven to do. We're driven to accomplish. That is a good thing. We're wired not to just sit. Because you know what happens if you sit too long, it starts to feel wrong and gross. And so we are wired for meaning and purpose. We want to give our lives to something of value. And all four of these categories are largely good. God wired us for these things. God wired us to pursue them. We should want them. We should pursue them. And this also raises an important point. Jesus isn't anti-possession. God's word tells us in Proverbs that there is much wisdom in saving in establishing financial security, to be wise with your money. God's word tells us we should enjoy the pleasures of life. God has given us many things and many gifts in this life, and we should enjoy them. God's word tells us that creating a level of comfort and providing for your family and for others to protect them from hardships and suffering is good. And so this, this idea of storing up treasures on one level Storing up earthly treasures, earthly investments is good and necessary. However, as any good investor will tell you, you have to diversify your portfolio. And some investments matter more than others. You're only as good as your strongest investment. So the question becomes, where do you invest the most? What is that place where you say, most of my chips are here This is where I'm putting my time and my energy and my focus. So Jesus tells his disciples in verses 19 and 20, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So the custom in Jesus' time was to take all of your most valuable treasures, your valuable possessions, and find a safe place and store them there and lock them up. 
We do similar things. We have a safety deposit box, and we have safes, and we have bank accounts with all the security and technology so nobody can break in. And so we understand this idea of taking what is most valuable to us and protecting it and storing it. And so we must ask ourselves, what do we most find our security in? What do we most find our sense of comfort and pleasure in? What do you most find your identity in? What is that thing that you have to guard and protect because your identity rests in that thing? Where are you chasing meaning and purpose? Where are you investing time and energy and resources to find that sense of meaning? If Jesus were our financial advisor, he would tell us to keep our 401ks light on earthly investments, but fill up our portfolio with heavenly investments. Why? Because as he says in verses 19 and 20, earthly investments and treasures are temporary. They're fragile. Their return is limited and fleeting. They're at the mercy of decay and rust and bug infestation. They break down. They don't last. Earthly investments, the word there is key. They are of this earth and like this earth, they will pass away. And so Jesus tells us, do not build up treasure, do not build up investments in things that will pass away. But here's the problem. Sin has so distorted our hearts that the most important things that we chase after are the things of this earth. Rather than them being minor investments or investments we see as just merely temporary, they become the thing we most put our security in. We most find our identity in. We most find comfort and pleasure in. We most find meaning and purpose in. And so our problem is, is that what has become the most important thing to us are things of earth, things that will pass away. And so saving for retirement and having enough in our bank accounts, wise and good. But hear me on this, money, bank accounts, investment accounts, they're of this earth and they will pass away. Like even in this life, you understand how precarious investments can be. Like the stock market goes all over the place. If you're, if you're into following the stock market, what, what has happened over the past couple weeks? And so even today, no matter how closely you watch that thing, it's built in. It's going to pass away. It's going to pass away. It's going to fade. Can't hold on to it. Yet, we obsess over our retirement accounts. We obsess over our bank accounts, thinking that is where we find our security. And let me, let me talk to the Christians in the room for a second. Financial peace. You know that program, Dave Ramsey? God bless him. Many of you have done things like that or, or other. Hey, that is great. Mindy and I did that when we were first married and it has made massive difference. But Dave Ramsey, your financial planner, not God. Your emergency fund is not your security. What if, what if God were to move you to say, hey, the next six months, what we would normally put in savings, we're going to give that to somebody in need. Or we're going to give that to the mission of the church. Okay, how about not six months? Maybe that's a little too, too much of a stretch. How about just one month? Could you do that? Could, could, could you let go of that security for a month, for a moment, 
and it not go into your bank account, but it go towards the mission of God or blessing somebody in need? I'm not saying, God, I'm not, that this is not my prophetic word to you saying, you need to go do this. I am merely saying, how tightly are you holding on to that thing? And if God were to ask you to release it, could you? Or, or, or on the flip side, some of us, we go into massive amounts of debt to pursue things like houses or cars or other possessions. And those things are investment too because we've got to pay it back. But we think, oh, in those things, I will have security and status. Those, those things I will enjoy and have pleasure. But the most beautiful homes, those of you who are homeowners know what happens. The wood rots. The carpet gets nasty. The roof leaks. The furnace goes out. Bugs infest it. The, the foundation cracks. Like that house that was once beautiful, it's falling apart. It's passing away. And you're fighting tooth and nail to keep it from doing that. The thing can catch on fire, as people in California know. Or, or how about this one? Sorry, I'm pushing on a lot of different things. But no, I put myself in these categories. How much of us invest time and resources and energy, as Eric mentioned, in that vacation, in that escape? Man, Mindy and I had a phenomenal time this past summer for our 10-year anniversary. We were in Europe. Go on vacation. Vacations are good. Travel. It's a gift. It's a pleasure. But guess what? The memories already start to fade. Like that joy that I had in being able to see Rome, it doesn't hit me the same way that it did a couple months ago. And so the, the, the pleasures of those things, if, that, if that's what we're chasing, if that's what our identity is, and that's what we're running after, it's going to fade. It's of this earth. It passes. And we waste, I mean, invest hours and hours on social media, chasing after an identity. We invest hours and hours in movies and TV shows, thinking that we can find comfort and pleasure in these things. We work and work and overwork, investing in an identity and in security that is of this earth and will pass. Parents, what are you teaching your kids is a worthwhile investment? What are you teaching them that they should put their time and their energy and their resources toward? Are you training them and discipling them towards heavenly investments? Or are they learning that things of this earth, that's where I should be chasing, that's what I should be investing in? Church, Christ calls us to consider our treasures and our investments. What quality are they? Jesus says, don't make those things that you most treasure, most invest in, be those things that will not last those things that will pass away, those things that are constantly at threat of destruction and being stolen from you. Rather, invest in things without limitation, in things that, will not, that are not at the mercy of decay and rust and death and bug infestations. Invest in things that will last for eternity. And so invest in the kingdom pouring money and resources and time and energy to see the gospel proclaimed, to see people come to know Christ, to see that the kingdom and the gospel go forward and righteousness and justice transform our city, to see people find their joy in Christ. Things that will last, things that have eternal value, 
Things that we can celebrate far beyond just merely months or years. So this past Friday night, I was at my best friend from high school's son's uh, basketball game. So his son has graduated from high school this year. And so it was his senior night game, so last game. And so Mindy and I went and watched the game. And, and as we're there, my, my buddy and I were talking about, you know, our old high school glory days and having this conversation. Hey, could, could our team beat his son's team? And, and we're, we, yeah, we said, yeah, we, he, we could. <laughs> but but we're, we're having this conversation, and it was fun, you know, just reminiscing about the old days and, and, and just kind of joking around. But, but what if I took out all my old medals and my old trophies and was just parading them around? Like, like when you met me, if you came into my house, like that's what I was talking about. Like that's all that I just, I was like, hey, look what I did when I was, you know, 18 years old. A little weird, right? Why? Because the glory of that has passed. A long time ago, it has passed. And so for me to keep talking about something that had such limited value, limited investment, as good as it was, would be ridiculous because it's passed away. And so how ridiculous will it be for us to be in eternity celebrating our bank accounts, celebrating our 401k, when we are in a restored heaven, new heavens and new earth, where the city is such pure gold that it's clear? What? what, We're going to talk about our 401ks then? Look, the wall is gold and it's clear. Who cares about your 401k? Are we going to sit around and and talk about the glory of our house made of wood standing in the shadow of an eternal mansion that Jesus himself built for us? Are we going to care about how many likes and follows we have on Twitter surrounded by the people of God throughout the entirety of history? That is going to be our family. That's who we get to fellowship with for eternity. I mean, are we going to sit around and sing the glories of TV, even, even sublime shows like This Is Us? <laughs> Look, I'm really behind in this season, so if you come up and tell me how Jack died, I'm putting you in a church discipline. <laughs> so, so we understand this, this is a little ridiculous, right? It, it, when we, when we compare things that merely pass compared to the, the eternal treasures of Christ and his kingdom, we see why Jesus is calling us to consider what we're investing in. Oh, church, let's not let our sin cause us to put our hope and our security and our identity and our comfort in second-rate investments. Let's not be our own personal Bernie Madoffs self-deceiving ourselves into investing in earthly and temporary treasures that promise lasting value, but are shot through with rot and decay and death. Uh, Jesus calls his disciples out of such self-deception. Trade up, Jesus tells us. Do not put your best investment in things of earth, but in heavenly things, eternal things, things that will last Things that are the source of true security, true pleasure and comfort, true identity, and true meaning and purpose. So we need to ask ourselves, where do we invest? Now let's ask, what do we treasure? Disciples of Jesus invest in the kingdom because they treasure the kingdom. Disciples of Jesus invest in the kingdom because they love the kingdom. And so we ask ourselves, what do we treasure? What do we truly love? 
Because as Jesus says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we treasure, what we love, will be revealed in the things we most invest in, the things that we most pursue, the things that we most treasure and guard and protect. Show me your treasure, and I will show you what you love. And so we need to ask ourselves and get a little bit deeper. What do we love? What is it that, that, that we care for and treasure the most? Well, there's two ways Jesus gives us to assess this. What catches our eye and who we serve. So in verses 22 and 23, Jesus uses the metaphor of physical sight to illustrate spiritual dynamics of our heart. This is what he says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So we start with physical sight. So if our eye works fine, that means our body walks in light, meaning we can see. We see where we're going. We know the right way. We're not stumbling and tripping and stubbing our toes. However, if our eye is bad, then we have trouble seeing. We, 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 we stumble, we trip, we don't know the proper way to go. Our bodies live in darkness. So Jesus takes this metaphor of physical sights and applies it spiritually. So the Bible frequently uses the metaphor of eye and sight to speak about the condition of our heart. Remember in Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So the condition of our heart affects what we see, spiritually speaking. And then to set your eye on something in the language of Scripture means to set your heart on something or to desire it. So, spiritually speaking, if our eye, meaning our heart, is good, that means we are walking in the light. And in this context, what Jesus means is, is we can see what is truly valuable. We can see what is truly glorious and good and beautiful. We can see what is righteous and holy and just. And we walk in those things. We pursue those things. Conversely, if our, if our eye, meaning our heart, is bad, then we will be drawn to merely earthly treasures and earthly investments. We will chase after things thinking that they bring security and comfort and pleasure and identity and meaning and purpose. But we've deceived ourselves. We're walking in darkness we think that these are the path to those things, but they're not. They pass away. And so we need to ask ourselves, what catches our eye? What catches your eye? What makes your heart skip a beat at the thought of possessing or pursuing? What, what, what gets you excited? What, what kind of gets you up out of bed in the morning and think, yes, if I go after this thing, if I have this thing, then I will be satisfied. I'm excited about that. My heart is pumping in my chest for this thing. Is it the money in our bank accounts? Is it a new job or the job that we have and just the ability to achieve in that? Is it a new house, a new car, a new electronic device? Is it a bigger social media profile? Is it an upcoming vacation? Is it the, the time spent watching TV or playing video games or chasing whatever pleasure? Are those the things that make your heart beat faster? Well, then those are the things that you love. Beyond it being something that you do, 
It's what you love. Jesus is getting right at the heart, right into our affections. And so we can't just say, this is something that I do. We have to use the language, this is something I love. We have to be honest about our hearts. And here's what we do. We convince ourselves that the treasures and the investments are what truly bring us security and comfort and identity. But the reason these things catch our eye is not because they're the true source of these things. It's because we love to build our own security. We love to build our own identities. We love to define meaning and purpose for ourselves. We love to chase after the comforts and pleasures of our bodies. We love the things of this earth. They catch our eye. Because ultimately, we love our own wants and needs. And consider this. What, what are our bodies made of? What does the Bible say? Now, now, don't get all chemistry geek on me. Dust, dirt. We're made from this earth. So us being made from this earth, chasing after the pleasures of the body, chasing after earthly things, here's how we can reduce that. We're dirt worshipers. Kind of, kind of crass when you think about it, but we worship our bodies and we worship the things of the earth. It makes sense that we chase after the pleasures of this earth because we put our own bodies at the center. And so we end up worshiping dirt. As funny as that sounds, but that's what our hearts are oriented towards. And there is another level to what Jesus, to Jesus's eye metaphor. So in the Greek, the word healthy or good, as it's translated in some, uh, some Bibles, and the word bad are a play on words. So healthy and good can also mean one or singular, meaning if your eye is healthy or good, it is singular in focus, singular in devotion. Conversely, if your eye is bad, this word can also mean double, and it means split devotion, split heart. So if you have a bad eye, it means your heart is divided. And this is what transitions Jesus into his next statement about masters. It's not two separate sort of metaphors. They're, they're connected. So what Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot have a divided heart for long. Your, your eye, if your eye is bad and it is divided, it will not stay divided for long because what will end up happening is just like a servant cannot be owned by two masters, our hearts cannot love two things simultaneously the same. And so one is going to outweigh the other. Eventually, love for one master will win out. And so here's what this means. It means that we cannot cherry pick in our discipleship. We do not get to choose and pick what we're going to give to the Lord and what we're going to keep back for ourselves. So, so let me apply it this way, con considering sort of the topic here. What this means is we don't get to cherry pick between our finances and our time. Because some of us, this is how we live. We give faithfully, and we sort of think, okay, since I'm giving faithfully, all my other time and resources and energy will go to other things, chasing after the security and the identity and the meaning and the purpose and the comfort of this world. And so we've, we've told ourselves, hey, I'm giving faithfully, so I'm good. All the while, 
We're giving our lives to the things of this earth. And so we've cherry-picked our discipleship. Flip that around. Some of us think, well, I don't necessarily need to give much money because I give all of my time and energy and other resources to God. And so if I'm doing this, well, then I can give my money towards things like a house or a car or pursue other interests with my money, things of this earth. And so we end up cherry picking and deciding what we're going to give to the Lord and what we're not. And what Jesus tells us here is, hold on a second, can't do that. Because here's what will happen. Either your love and devotion for Christ will grow and define how you use both your time and energy and your money, or your love and devotion of the things of this earth will eventually define how much leftover you have to give to the kingdom. One love will grow. One love will overtake. One love will define how you spend your time. And so Jesus says we cannot cherry pick. He calls us into an entire life devoted to him. All of our money, all of our time, all of our resources given. And so church, who has your heart? Church, who has your loyalty? What is glorious and beautiful to you? What is worth giving your life to, giving your all to? Disciples of Jesus invest in the kingdom because they treasure the kingdom. Is Christ glorious to you? Is Christ beautiful to you? Is Christ so great to you that he's worth giving your all and finding all of your security, all your comfort, all your hope in him? Let's remember, Christ stepped from the glories of heaven took on human flesh, entered into our sin-cursed world, and he loved and he served and he spread God's mercy and grace. He confronted the evil and oppressive leaders of his day. He called people to turn from their sin. He willingly laid down his life as a ransom for your sin and mine, paying the debt that we owed And then he was raised victorious over sin and death and hell and Satan. And he ascended into heaven where he is the resurrected and reigning king. And he poured out his spirit on the church. And he invited us into being on mission with him to give our lives for his kingdom. And he did all of this for us to cherry pick? I don't think so. If what Christ has done is so glorious, so good, so transforming, so life-altering, if it changes everything in history, then why do we cherry-pick? Why do we withhold when Christ is that glorious, when when the riches of heaven have been poured out onto us, spared no expense? Why do we cherry-pick? Why do we withhold? Why do we chase after earthly things? church, he's called us to give our lives, to give our all. And so as it pertains to money, our disciples, we're called to give generously and sacrificially. We are called to give to the mission of the church and to support those who are in need financially. And so if you're a member of First City Church, this is what we call you into. And, and here's what's, what's awesome for me as a pastor being able to stand up here, is I can celebrate that as a church for the two years that we've existed, we have always functioned in abundance. Like you all are faithful in giving. 
And so I can celebrate. I don't have to stand up here and go, hey, get your act together because we're, we're sinking here. No, we're blessed. But I understand that just because we're blessed doesn't mean that we're entirely faithful and fully faithful. And so as a church, God calls us to give generously and sacrificially. And so what this potentially could look like. So in our membership covenants, if, if, you, if you become a member of the church, it talks about giving to the mission of the church. We, on purpose, don't put a specific percentage or number there. Like some churches, it might be a 10% or, or, or something else. And hey, that's a great baseline. 10% is a fine baseline. But here's the thing. Some of you, to give generously and sacrificially, should be given more. Not, not because it's going to be more blessing for you or I, I want to I have like some awesome huge building, but it's because you love Jesus and want to see his kingdom go forward. Some of you, it may be that financially you're in a position where giving 10% or, or whatever that might be is hard, and so you give what you can, but you give generously and sacrificially. So the point is not numbers. The point is who has your heart? Who has your life? What are you giving yourself to? What do you want to see happen in this world? Are your hands open and saying, yes, God, I want to see your kingdom advance. I want to see the mission go forward in the church and let me be generous. Let me show that my treasure is Christ and so I will give up all earthly comfort for him. Here's what, here's what ticks me off about the prosperity gospel. Sorry, rant coming. What ticks me off is that they tell us, hey, if you give X amount, God is just going to bless you with all this stuff. And it's like, he's going to bless me with more things of this earth that, that aren't going to last, that aren't eternal. Like, like that, that's not why I give. I don't give so I can get more stuff that's just going to rot. Like we give so we can have more of Christ. We give so we can see his kingdom advance so people can know Jesus. That's why we give eternal things not more earthly things. And so as it pertains to money, the good news for us is that none of it is wasted. Like when you give to the mission of God, none of it gets lost. God uses it all, makes an eternal impact. And so it's never wasted. And as it pertains to time and energy, because it is much more than money, God has called us to join him on this great and glorious mission of redemption. He's called us and he uses us to see people bound in sin, set free, to see families restored and reunited, to see people who are locked in the chains of sin find freedom and forgiveness, to see justice and mercy transform our city. Like he's called us into this to be on mission with him and he's given us his spirit to empower us. And so let our ordinary, average lives be caught up in that. Let the kingdom and mission of God define how you spend your time, how you spend your resources, how you decide, hey, how are we giving our lives as a family or as an individual during the week? Have I given my life to see that my spouse, my friends, my neighbor, my kids, my coworker may find their joy, their life, their security, their identity in Christ? Is that what gets me out of bed? Is that what makes my heart beat a little bit faster? That my wife knows Jesus more, that my kids know Jesus more, that my neighbor next door would celebrate with Jesus, that my coworker who is just locked in sin and debauchery would someday be set free. Does that make our heart beat 
Is that the kind of thing I'm like, yes, I want to give my life to that? Because I know none of it is wasted. Not a second of discipling your kids, talking with your spouse, talking with a neighbor, serving, loving, sacrifice. Not a, not a millisecond of it is wasted. It is gaining for you an eternal reward. And God is using you on this earth to bring glory to him. And so church, my heart for us is that we would be all in, whether it's with money, whether it's with our time and our resources and our energy, but that we're all in for Christ and his kingdom. That the culture of First City is one of radical investment. That we give our lives away to Christ and to each other and to the world. That we can be like the Apostle Paul and say we've been poured out for him that we trade in the American dream and trade up for the Great Commission, for the glory of Christ, because he's our treasure and he is our eternal reward. So let me close with this quote from John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. Desire that your life count for something great. Long for your life to have eternal significance. Want this. Don't coast through life without a passion. But whatever you do, find the God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life and find your way to say it and live for it and die for it. And you will make a difference that lasts. You will not waste your life. Amen?